week, probably, probably, if you're like most people, this week in, and I know you're saying, I'm not like most people, I'm special. Well, okay, well, this week, uh, probably in your life, somebody came to you with some sort of issue that they were struggling with or dealing with, and I don't mean they necessarily said, hey, I want to sit down and, and talk with you, I've got an issue, maybe that happened, but just somebody in your life was struggling with something. Somebody in your life had a hard day at work. Somebody in your life uh, was just kind of overwhelmed with something. Some, somebody in your life was struggling with something going on. This could be a friend of yours. This could be your husband, your wife, your boyfriend, your girlfriend. It could be your kids. It could be any of the different relationships that you have. Somebody was struggling in your life. I, I, I was teaching a class this week, and I I asked the class, and it was just a small group of people, I said, hey, what, what recently in your life, what have been some of the issues that people have brought to you? What have been some of the, the things that people said, hey, this is kind of happening in my life? And, and the list is, is huge. I mean, people have issues with loneliness or marriage issues or going through divorce or uh, people that have uh, committed suicide and kind of the aftermath of that and, and, and helping uh, family and friends uh, deal with that and anxiety and depression and, and just being overwhelmed and, and busy and, I mean, all sorts of things. I mean, I, I probably didn't hit all the different things that your friends could have brought to you or, you know, being afraid of what people think of you or needing a new job or all sorts of different things. All the time in our life, people are struggling with stuff. All the time in our life, we have friends and spouses and kids that are, that are wrestling with things. And, and we often find, man, we don't really know how to help very well. People are coming to us all the time, but it doesn't mean we necessarily really know how to help. And, and that's for a variety of reasons. Maybe it's because we just don't know what to say. You know, someone can say something to you, and, and you're like, yeah, you know, you don't necessarily know exactly how to help, or it, it might be because you feel like, man, I've never been through that, so how, how can I help them with what they're going through when I've never walked through that myself, or or, or it might be that, that you also just feel like, man, I, I don't really have the energy for this. Sometimes it's just that if we're honest, right? We, we don't know how to help or we don't want to help because we just don't have the energy. You know, especially this is often true in a marriage. A, a spouse is kind of like, hey, this is going on and this is hard. And you're just like, oh, I really wanted to watch that show. Or I really wanted to read, you know, this whatever on my phone, something really important, right? It's just like, man, we oftentimes don't have the energy. So look, all the time in your life, in my life, people are struggling with stuff. All the time. Big things, little things, all the time. And they come to us. And it might be formally, they say, hey, would you talk to me about this? But a lot of times it's just kind of offhanded stuff. And we struggle to know how to help. We struggle to know how to help. And we want to, Right? If, if you're a spouse, you want to be a good, you want to be a good husband, a good wife, and help. If you're a friend, you want to, I mean, when your roommates come home and they're like, man, this was really hard, you don't want to just say, well, that sucks. I hope you have a, I hope it works. I hope you can find someone to talk to about that. We want, we want to be people that can help, right? With your kids, I mean, we want to, we want to be able to help. If you've got kids and they're, I mean, dealing with bullies or they're dealing with even, you know, at young ages, man, what do I look like and all, I mean, you want to be able, you want to be able to help. We want, if we have friends that are experiencing doubt, to help them experience faith. We want, if we have friends that are experiencing loneliness, to help them experience friendship. We want, if we have friends or, or relationships that are experiencing pain or bitterness, to experience forgiveness and freedom. I mean, we want to be able to do that. But it's, it's difficult. We find that it is challenging. We find that it's hard. So how can we grow? How can we grow in the skill of being able to help each other? How can we grow in the skill of actually being able to help one another? 
that when somebody comes and says, hey, I want to talk to you, you actually feel, I, I can help. How could we grow in being able to do that in everyday conversations that are happening? If we could say, man, I, I feel like I really can help. I feel like I really know how to help my kids and help my spouse and help my friends. How can we grow in actually helping one another? What if we could really do that? I mean, think about that. What if you could actually help? What if you didn't feel totally like, I am at a loss? But what if we really could help? And to begin to talk about this, of how we can learn to help each other, there's, there's a few things that, that we need to discuss. And the first is just this. Why is learning to help each other so important? Because you might buy into it. You might say, yeah, I, I do have people all the time that are coming to me. I do have people all the time that are sharing stuff with me. But do I really need to kind of grow in helping them, or is it kind of good enough where, where it's at? But why is it that we need to learn to help each other? Why is it that it's so important to learn this? And, and here's what Peter says. Peter was uh, one of the disciples of Jesus, one of the closest friends of Jesus, and he writes a letter to the church talking about what God wants us to experience, what God wants us to be able to live in and experience. And here's what he says. He says, like newborn infants... Long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now, now here's what he's saying. He's saying that we are God's kids. We're God's kids, and, and like little babies, God brings us into his family, and that's what salvation is. God brings us into his family, and now we know him, and we're in relationship with him. But God doesn't want it just to stop there. We're little babies that God brings into his family, but he doesn't want it to stop there. He wants us to grow up into it. And this is what Peter's saying when he uses this metaphor of, of newborn infants. Think, think about it. I mean, there's all sorts of things that kids do that would be really weird if adults did them. There's all sorts of things. I mean, we've got a lot of babies in this church and, uh, and a lot that are on the way, possibly some that are happening, you know, currently. I see some people not here, you know, and maybe the babies have, the babies have come, you know. I don't know. It's, it's happening. Babies are coming out all over the place um, in the city of Denver <laughs> because of true life. Um, and, and we take it seriously. We want true life and new life. We want it to happen. Um, but, but here's what he says. He, he takes this metaphor of babies. But think about this. Like, I mean, I, you know, we've got friends here and I have babies. And, you know, you hold a baby and sometimes the baby, like, poops and you can feel it in the diaper. And, and you're like, oh, a little poop came out, you know. But, like, if that baby was 15, then you, that would be weird, right? If, I, if, I, if, like, I was in the bathroom, you know, and you walked in and you heard me in the stall and you're like, oh, a little poop came out. I I wouldn't be happy. I would be upset, you know. I wouldn't go, oh, that's, that's, thank you for encouraging me. I would be, I would be upset because there's things it's okay for a baby to do that's not okay for an adult to do. We say, yeah, that's cute when they're a baby, but they got to grow up. It's cute when they're a baby. It's cute when they're a baby. They got to grow up. My mom was here last week and was driving her to the airport and, uh, and my daughter was in the back seat and just making, you know, kids make a lot of noises sometimes and, and she's just like, just doing that for like a long time. And my mom was like, she's a lot like you were when you were a kid. And I was like, oh, thanks, mom. And then we keep driving and she's still doing it. And I'm just listening and she's, and my mom goes, right about now is when your brother would have hit you. And I was like, oh, thanks, mom. I appreciate that. Thanks. Thanks for the empathy. But again, that would be weird, right? As a little kid, it might be kind of annoying, but it's not weird. You're not like, what is wrong with them? You're, you're just like, okay, they're a little kid, right? But as an adult, 
there's things that are unacceptable. There's things that you go, that's not okay. You got to grow up, dude. If you're just making, unless you're a beatboxer, it's not okay to make noises like that. So this is what Peter's saying. That's what Peter's saying. Here's what he says. He says, God's brought us into his family, and that's what salvation is. God has brought us into his family. That's what it means that we're saved. But you know what God wants for us? He wants us to grow up. He wants us to, and here's another way to say this. God wants us to fully experience the salvation he's given us. That's what a parent wants for their baby. A parent wants for the baby to fully experience humanity. The parent wants for their child to fully experience what it means to be a human, to, to get a job and to drive and to get married and to, and to see the world and to pursue their dreams and live with purpose or whatever it is. I mean, a parent has a vision for their child that is beyond diapers. It's, it's I want them to really experience what it means to be a human. And that's what God wants for us. God wants to save us. He wants to bring us into his family, but he wants us to fully experience it. Everything that God has done for us, when God has forgiven us, he says, yes, I did that in a point in time. I forgave you. And God accepts us. And he says, yes, I did that in a point in time. I, I accepted you. And God adopts us into a family. And God says, yes, in a point in time, I want you to experience that. I but God says, I want you to experience fully what that means in, in all the different ways. So it's not just you have kind of this, okay, a, a, an infant knowledge of who God is or an infant experience of who God is. But God says, I want you to know the depths of what it means that I love you. I want you to know the depths of what it means that I forgave you. I want you to know the depths of what it means that I accept you, not based on anything you do, but because of what I've done for you. God wants us to grow up into that, which doesn't just mean get better. Don't, don't view it like that. It doesn't mean get better. It means he wants us to fully experience the salvation that he's given to us. He doesn't want you to just know it as a baby, but to fully live into it, to fully experience it. Now, this is really important because why is learning to help one another so important? It's because God has this vision of what he desires for you and me. God has this vision of what he wants us to experience, but we can't get it on our own. God wants us to grow up and experience all that he is, all that he's done for us, but we cannot get that on our own. There's nothing in our lives that we can fully grow up unto and fully experience on our own. Even think, I mean, if, if you want to do a diet and you say, man, I want to fully experience, man, I've heard this diet's cool and I want to fully experience what this diet can do, what it, what it can offer for me. I mean, most of the time you reach out to friends or to your spouse and say, hey, we're doing this. If it's your spouse, you say, hey, we're doing this diet. If it's a friend, you say, hey, do you want to do this diet with me? Like, probably most people don't do Whole30 by themselves. They don't kind of, they say, hey, do this with me. And for those of you that are strange folks that like to run, if you're doing a marathon, you say, hey, hey, do this with me. Hey, sign up and do this with me. If you want to do something that takes effort or fully experience, even studies show that with exercise, I mean, if you're exercising with people, the, you, you are more likely to stick it out. You're more likely to experience the benefits of it. You're more likely to push yourself further, faster, all that, because if you want to fully experience something in this life, if you want to fully experience something in this life, you take other people along with you to help you. There was a, a study done a handful of years back that, that talked about, this is like the journal article title that says, Personal Accounts of Successful Versus Failed Attempts at Life Change. And this is going through when people have dramatically changed their lives. When they were something over here and there's been a dramatic shift. 
when there's been a dramatic shift, there's two things that the researchers point out. One was someone went through some sort of crisis. They went through some sort of suffering that allowed them to experience life change. But the second is, and this is you know, a simple quote, but one of the researchers said, change occurs among other people. Change occurs among other people. That if you want to experience life change, and this is true not just with diets, not just with exercise, but it's the very thing the Bible says. God wants us to fully experience salvation. But if we want that, we need other people. This is why it's so important. Here's how, here's how the book of Hebrews says it. It says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Now, he's painting this vision. He says, God wants something for you. God wants you to experience something. God wants you to be close to him and not be far from him. God wants you to have a heart that knows him and and doesn't have doubts about him. God wants you to really experience who he is. And he could have said a lot of things. He could have said, so therefore, read your Bible, or therefore, pray, or therefore, make sure you're studying a lot. But that's not what he says. He says, therefore, or but, exhort one another. See, there's something God wants us to experience. Take care, brothers. Not an unbelieving heart. Not falling away from God. And the the medicine that he gives, or the solution that he gives, is this. Therefore, exhort one another. See, he says, if you want to experience what God has for you we need other people it's true with diets it's true with exercise it's true with everything but it's true spiritually too see god desires something for you and me he wants us to fully experience salvation but on our own on our own we can't on our own we can't experience what god desires for us and this is because we're deceived See, by ourselves, one of the things that sin does is it causes self-deception. It means we don't see ourselves clearly. See, by ourselves, we think, I'm pretty good. I remember this, that when I got married, I thought I was like the best husband ever. And then day one happened, and day two happened, and day three happened. It was like, oh, I've actually got a lot to work on. I thought, you know, in pre-marriage counseling, I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. Come on, I've read a book. I got it. That's why I always, even when I do marriage, pre-marriage counseling with people, I tell them this is kind of a waste of your time. Um, but I would love to talk to you in about a year because that's when you will actually go, oh my gosh, I need some help. Uh, and I don't, I mean, I don't really think it's a waste of time, but, but I do think that we, we are self-deceived. We're self-deceived. Uh, there's an article in the New York Times talking about that we just lack self-awareness and that that keeps us from the life that we want. And I love the, the research that they pull out of this. It says 95% of people think they're self-aware and only 10 to 15% truly are. 95% of us go, no, 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 okay, yes, I know some people are deceived, but me, that's not me. I'm, I, I know myself. I know I, me and God, we can grow together. Me and God, there's some things I need to work on, but I know where they are, and I, and the book of Hebrews says, no, it says God wants something for you to experience, but you can't do it on your own, because on your own, you will be self-deceived, and you know what this leads to? It leads to us getting hardened. See, he says, none of you may be, none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. See, the effect of us being deceived, the effect of us doing life by ourselves, the effect of us saying, Oh, yeah, I want everything that God wants for me in my life. I want to follow God. Look, if you're somebody that says, okay, I want to follow God, 
I want to grow as a Christian. If, if you're right here right now and you're like, yeah, I want to do that, but you think you can do it by yourself, he says the effect is you're going to be deceived, which eventually leads to a hardening. Now look, you know this if you've tried to do this. If you've tried to follow God by yourself, if you've tried to follow Jesus by yourself, if you've tried to experience the Christian life by yourself, you have probably experienced this hardening, which means this, sin gets easier and easier to do. When you're by yourself, when, when people don't really have access, when people don't really know, it gets easier and easier to do. You see, disobedience has a momentum to it. Disobedience just gets easier and de- easier. Disobedience moves downhill, meaning it's just, man, you, you're just cruising. It might get, look, it might get, be hard to have that initial inertia to say, I'm going to do this and I know I shouldn't do it. But when you're by yourself, when you're by yourself, you begin to deceive yourself. Say, well, it's okay, or it was just this, or it's not really that bad, or maybe even the Bible doesn't actually say that, or I don't think that's what that means. Or, and by yourself, our hearts start to get harder and harder and harder. And sin gets easier and easier and easier. I mean, let me just ask you, do you feel like your heart is soft to God? Do you feel like your heart is soft to God? Or here's another way to say this. Is, are you getting softer and softer to what God speaks? So that when you feel conviction about something, you're likely to respond. Or is it that your heart is getting harder? Your defenses are getting wider. Your protection of yourself is getting more and more fortified. So that it's harder for God to pierce through. Harder for God to say, I want you to change. Harder for God to say, I want better in your life than this. Or has it become easier and easier to slip away? See, this is what Peter says that we need, that God wants us to fully experience salvation. And the book of Hebrews says that in order for that to happen, we need each other. Here's, oops, I gave away what I was going to show you. But it probably isn't that big of a surprise if you've been here for a while. But let me tell you this. Uh, He says this, and this is just another way, uh, the negative way to talk about this, the unbelieving heart. You see, an unbelieving heart means this. It means that we miss out on who God actually is. See, he says, I don't want you to have an unbelieving heart. I don't want you to be deceived and then to be hardened because I don't want you to have an unbelieving heart. But what does that really mean? An unbelieving heart means I don't really experience who God is. If God says, I love you, an unbelieving heart says, I'm not sure about that. And he says, I don't want you to live in that. I want you to actually experience a God of love. If God says, I forgive you, and you say, I'm not sure about that, then you miss out in your life of experiencing a God of grace, that no matter what you've done, a God says, I forgive you. See, an unbelieving heart misses out on reality. An unbelieving heart misses out on the God that we could have in our life, and this is what God exactly doesn't want for us. So let me give you an illustration. In Lord of the Rings, which I was re-watching this last, been re-watching the last couple weeks, um, and uh, the extended edition, of course, and uh, 
Gollum, there's this conversation between Gollum and Frodo and Sam, for those of you um, that are unenlightened, that's these three characters here, and I'm just kidding, um, but he, he's trying to get, they're, they're these close friends, and he's trying to get them to turn, he's trying to get Frodo to turn against Sam. He's trying to get Frodo to turn against Sam. Sam has been his best friend, his closest friend, helping them on their journey to Mordor to destroy the ring. And he's trying to get him to turn against Sam. And so he's telling him lies. He's trying to get Frodo to not believe who Sam is. So he plants crumbs on him and says that Sam ate, you know, the, the bread, the elvish bread that, he, you know, that, that was their like, you know, meal for the journey. And he's saying, he's, he wants the ring. He's against you. And he's trying, I was watching this scene because what Gollum is trying to do is get Frodo to develop an unbelieving heart towards Sam. He's trying to cast doubt of who Sam is. And, and Sam ends up saying, he's poisoned you against me. And it's this kind of, this sad moment where Sam is crying because his best friend no longer believes who he actually is. And he tells him, get Gollum out of here, send him away. And Frodo looks at him and he says, no, Sam, it's you. You're the problem. You go home. And Frodo develops an unbelieving heart. Frodo develops an unbelieving heart. And when the book of Hebrews says this, it says, listen, here's why it's so important for us to help each other. Because God wants us to fully experience everything that he is. He wants us to fully know everything that he is and everything that he has done. But by ourselves, we become deceived. And by ourselves, we begin to develop an unbelieving heart. Which means, God says, I want to be there with you. Like Sam wanted to be with Frodo. I want to help you. I want to be your protector. I want to be the friend to you that you need. I want to, and we start to go, I don't know. I don't know if that's what you're actually like. I don't know if that's who you actually are. And Frodo ends up, you know, in a spider web and getting all his blood sucked out. And that's what will happen to us spiritually. Basically, God wants us to fully experience the salvation that he offers to us. And he knows that on our own, we drift away. On our own, we drift away. On our own, we don't really know who he is. On our own, we miss out on life, living and believing who this God actually is. So this is why it is so important to know to, to know who he is and to have others to help us because he wants, he wants more for us. Now, here's what this means. This means that we are needy people. And I don't mean that in a bad way of just like, oh, you're so needy. I just, it means we are needy people, though. We need others in our lives. It means we are needy people, and it means we are needed people. It means we're needy, that we can't do it on our own, and it means that we are needed. We have a call to help each other. So then if we want to learn how to help each other, there's two questions we have to continue to ask, which is how do we receive help and how do we give help? So first, this one, how do we receive the help that we need? It's, it's really important if we want to experience all God has for us. How do we receive help? Because you might long for this, right? Maybe, maybe you say, yeah, I want that in my life. I want someone that helps me experience all God has for me. I want someone that is, is exhorting me and helping me to, uh, to know everything that God is. I don't want to be deceived. I don't want to be hard. So you might want that, right? You might want people to be in your life like this, that know you like this. You might want people in your life that are there to help you, that really know you, that you're connected to. And yet, we're scared of that 
at the same time. We might want people to know us enough that they can help us, but we're scared of it. We're scared of it. We're scared of actually letting people see us, of actually being vulnerable. One of the most popular TED Talks of all time um, has, I mean, just think about this. This is 35 million views. I mean, so many views that I didn't count 183,000 views. 35 million, I mean, that's a lot of views on the power of vulnerability. And I'm not going to go into everything she talks about. This is a woman named Brene Brown, and she's written tons of books on this stuff. But just think about how popular of a topic it is to talk about vulnerability. It means there's a market for this. It means that she can write book after book talking about weakness and talking about belonging, and, and that there's a market for it. There's a market for it because it is a huge thing that we sense, a huge thing that we feel of, man, I want people to know me, but it's hard. I want people in my life that can help me, and if, if from a Christian standpoint, I want people in my life who can help me experience God, who can help me experience everything he's done, but it's hard. I mean, the fact that so many people are reading and watch says, man, this is a need that she's tapped into. You see, because it's very difficult. We might want connection. We might want people to help us. We might want people to know us, but we find it very difficult. And the Bible says that in the very beginning, when sin entered into the world, when sin entered into the world, this is one of the effects that sin had, was to create this hiding from each other. You see, the Bible says that when God made man and woman, it says the man and his wife were both naked, and it doesn't just mean a physical nakedness. We were both naked and were not ashamed. See, it links those two together. They were naked, meaning they saw each other completely what we desire. They knew each other completely, and there was no shame. They were naked. They saw each other completely, total honesty, total openness, total knowing, and no shame, no fear. But when sin came into the world, the immediate effect that it began to have is God comes to talk with them and says they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden and he, that's Adam, he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. See, this is what happens when sin enters into the world. When sin enters in the world, we are scared. We're scared of what people are going to think. We're scared of what people are going to see now. I was afraid because I was naked instead of I'm naked and unashamed. See, we're scared of what people are going to see, and so we hide. We're scared of what people are going to see, and so we hide. This is one of the immediate effects that happens, which makes it very difficult to actually connect to people. It makes it very difficult to connect to people. It makes it very difficult to share things. And you may have even tried this, right? Maybe there's even, you're, it's not even without reason. There might be things that have happened in your past where you opened up and you shared, here's who I am, and somebody used that against you. You may have said, okay, I want people to really know me. Or maybe even in Christian context in the church, and you said, okay, I want, I want it to be, uh, I want to fully know who God is. I want to fully experience it. I know I can't do it on my own, so here's who I am. And people rejected you. And so it makes it difficult to do this. We want to be known, but we're scared, and so we hide. Which means this, a lot of times we're safe, but disconnected. 
A lot of times we're safe. People don't know us. They don't judge us. They don't see what's there. We're safe, but we're disconnected. And that means that we feel unloved. The more disconnected that we are from people, the more we feel unloved. But we're unloved because we're unknown. We're unloved because we're unknown. So what can help us receive the help that we need? We need to be able to receive help if we want to fully experience all that God is and all that he's done, but it's very difficult. So what can help us? And help begins, help begins, receiving help begins as we start to see that whatever's there, whatever's there that we're hiding, whatever's there that we don't want people to know about us or see about us, whatever's there doesn't require rejection. Whatever's there doesn't require us to hide because it doesn't mean that we are rejected. See, here's what God says. God says, I'm for the weak. All throughout the Bible, God says, hey, what is it in you that you feel like you've got to hide? God says, I'm for the person that's sinful. I'm for the person that's hurt. I'm for the person that's wounded. See, whatever it is in you that makes it so you feel, I don't know if I want to share this and really open myself up, God says, that doesn't, that doesn't require your rejection. In fact, God says, that's the very requirement of your acceptance. To be able to come to God needy and say, I need something. There's hurt in me. There's sin in me. There's brokenness in me. There's woundedness in me. That's the very basis that we come to God on. Here's, here's what Paul says to the church in Corinth. He says, consider your calling. It means consider the basis of your salvation. Consider how God called you. Not many of you were wise. Now, that might seem like a weird opening, you know, to say to somebody, look, you're kind of dumb. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. You're kind of weak. Not many were of noble birth. He's talking about your mom, right? He's saying not many, not many of you were rich and powerful. You come from kind of humble beginnings. But God chose what's foolish in the world to shame the wise. God shows what, I mean, think about just, I'll, I'll keep going on this, but just think about this, because these are the things even that we, we fear people knowing of us, of what we know. I mean, sometimes we front, right? Sometimes we're like, I know this, and we don't really know it. I mean, we even drop little lies of like, oh yeah, I saw that show, and then later we're like, I never saw that show. Like, oh, I know, oh yeah, I know about, yeah, if you ever watch like Lie Witness News that Jimmy uh, Kimmel does, and people, I mean, it's, it's hilarious, I'm not even going to go, I mean, look it up if you've never seen it. But basically, we, we all just are like, oh yeah, I know about that, and we don't. And a lot of times that's what we fear will cause our rejection, is what we don't know. Or powerful, I mean, just break that down. Like, what does it mean that not many of us are powerful? It means, man, we're not as successful as, as a lot of people. Or, or maybe it's just, man, our abilities aren't what we want them to be. See, sometimes we don't want people to know us because we fear, what if they see I'm not as good as I am saying I am? What if I, they see that my weekends aren't as powerful, as good as, as I seem to say they are, that my family life doesn't look as good as it does on social media, or that whatever. Or not many of you were noble birth. All right, kind of jokes saying he's talking about your mom, but, but seriously. I mean, some of us are ashamed of our past, our family. Some of us are, it is our family upbringing that has, that we go, ah, 
if people knew about that, they might judge me. People knew about some of the stuff that happened since I'm not from noble birth. They might not accept me. And he says, yeah, but God chose what's foolish in the world to shame the wise. It means God selects those people to bring into his family and says, I want those that are considered fools. God chose what's weak. If you're somebody that says, man, I feel weak, it says, God chose you. If you feel weak and you're worried that people won't accept you because of that, it says, God chose what is weak in the world. Shame the strong. God shows what is low and despised in the world. If you feel low, if you feel low, if you feel despised, if you feel people don't like you, if you feel uh, hated even, if you feel rejected, if you feel gossiped about, slandered about, it says God chose you. Even things that are not. I mean, that's like as low as it gets. Maybe you're like, I'm not a fool. I just feel like nothing. I'm not weak. I just feel like nothing. Even things that are not. Because God chose you to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. See, here's what he says. And here's what can help us receive help. Receiving help we need is often hard because we're afraid to let people know us. We're afraid that that people will see our weakness, our foolishness, our past, our nothingness. And he says, God shows you. There's no rejection. See, beginning to receive help that we need starts with understanding that whatever's there isn't basis for rejection. Whatever's there that you think, if people knew this, they might reject me. Paul says no. In fact, that is what God chose. The old Backstreet Boys hymn that says, I don't care who you are, right? Some of you know it. Sing sing it. What you've done, where you're from, as long as you love me, right? And that sounds weird coming from like a teenage boy. But uh, some claps. Yes, my dream is alive. <laughs> that sounds desperate coming from like a teenage boy, right? Like, I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you're from. Just love me. <laughs> but from God, from God, that's what our souls actually need to hear. So it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how foolish you are, how weak you are. It doesn't matter. God says, I love you, and I bring you into my family. If that gets into our soul, if that gets into our soul, we become free to share with others. Because we know that whatever's there doesn't mean that I have to be rejected. God says, I see it already, and I accept you. God calls to you. Look, if you're, right now, if it's hard for you to share who you are, God says, come here. What is it that's keeping you in the shadows? Come here. I accept you. God calls us out and says, I know you. I see you. I accept you. And I know that doesn't mean that other people will, but the more that we believe that, the more that that gets into our soul, we're okay to experience a little bit of rejection from others because we're living in a deeper acceptance. We're living in, yeah, but God chose me. God made me his. This means we don't have to hide. 
means we don't have to hide. It means God accepts you. He forgives you. And not just that he accepts you and forgives you, he defines you. So he says, Jesus became for us. You're not wise, but Jesus is wise, it says. And he says, you're mine. You're not righteous, but Jesus is righteous. And he says, you're mine. You're not, you're not somebody that can earn it on your own and be holy on your own, but, but Jesus says, I sanctify you. I redeem you. Which is why he says, boast in the Lord. It means we can begin to share with other people. I mean, what would happen if you were, even just those that you're in close relationship with, I'm not saying you just have to go around living your life and say, I'm an open book, whatever you want to know. I'm, I'm not saying that. But what if those, if you're in a community group, what if those in your community group, what if, what if you were just completely honest? I mean, I, I've known people that have gone years around other people or six months or eight months around other people and something comes out like, I didn't even know you were struggling with that. I didn't even know this was hard for you. See, what would happen if, if you lived in this and so were free with your community group? And just said, here's who I am. Here's what's going on. Here's the hard stuff. Here's the places I'm struggling. Here's the places I'm sinning. Here's the places that I, I, I feel in need. This gives us the ability to do that. Another way that I like to help us think through this is even just when we ask for prayer, even just when we ask for prayer, a lot of times when we ask for prayer, we, we ask about whatever specific thing it is that we need prayer for. So we might say, hey, can you pray? I've got a job interview coming up. Or we might say, hey, I've got family coming into town. Can you pray that that goes well? Or we might say, I've got a work trip coming up. Can you pray for my work trip? But we don't even say what it is that we actually want prayer for. See, what if we get, begin to move from just asking for prayer about whatever situation it is to our heart? See, that begins to expose ourselves more and say, hey, I need help. I've got a job interview coming up, and I'm really anxious. I'm, I'm, and I'm even feeling tempted to lie a little bit. See, what if we actually begin to not just ask for prayer for the thing, but also the heart? And say, hey, I've got family coming into town, and every time I'm around them, man, I just, I, I'm a jerk. I disagree with them on everything from ice cream to politics, and I just want to, like, be mean and pray that, that my heart would be gracious and patient. I see, that begins to expose us more. That's more risky. But then people begin to know us more, begin to love us more. And we begin to receive the help that we need because we already know our acceptance is based in Him. So, before I leave this point, let me just ask you really practically, if there's something in your life that you know you've been hiding don't anymore. Make, make this week, make today the day that you go to your community group or your LTG and say, hey, I need help. Hey, I need help. Here, this is hard for me. This is in my life, and I, I need you because I do want to more fully know God. So this is how we begin to receive the help we need, but how do we give the help that is needed? How do we give the help that's needed? That's how we receive it, but how do we give it? People are going to come to you. People are going to come to you, and they're going to share things with you all the time. It, it might be informal things where they say, I was listening to a sermon, and I need help. Or it might be just offhanded comments that come at you. And how do we actually give the help that is needed? Let me give you 
four practices that can help us help our friends. They can help us help our kids. They can help us help our spouses. First is that we need to listen. I know that's obvious. We need to listen. But when we listen, we listen with grace. It's because a lot of times somebody might share something with you, and we, we might not go, what? You did what? Or you struggle with that? We might not do that, but we might feel that. But see, grace, grace says, man, I know who I am. I know that I'm somebody that is weak and foolish and sinful and despised and rejected and low and not and, and has a past, and yet Jesus accepted me. Even if it's not the same thing, even if it's different stuff, grace listens and says, okay. See, sometimes when we hear what people share with us, we're just disgusted. I mean, think about a time that somebody shared a struggle with you and it just annoyed you and you just felt like, can't you get over that? Or I don't think that's a big deal. But see, that is feeling like, hey, you're, you're so far from me. You're so different from me. Instead of saying, we're actually more alike because I struggle with things too. They might not be the same stuff, but man, I'm weak too. And I'm in need of Jesus too. And I'm sinful too. So to begin to give the help that is needed, we have to listen. And we listen with grace and we listen with love. And love seeks to actually meet the person in the middle of what they're going through, not just fix them. Love seeks to meet the person, whatever it is. It says, I want to know the person. I want to know their experience, not just solve their issue. See, I was talking to somebody this last week, and they were sharing with me that they were, and this is to my shame, but thank you, Jesus, for covering my shame. But I was talking to somebody sharing their loneliness. And I began to just give them, here, well, what about this? And why don't you try this? And why don't you do this? And why don't you do this? And, and it was helpful stuff. And I'm not saying, like, hey, it was really, they liked it. They were like, yeah, thanks, I'm going to do that. But I also felt like I totally missed them. I, I worked on their problem, but I, I missed them sharing their heart with me. I missed them with tears rolling down their eyes, and I didn't actually love them. I gave them solutions, but I didn't listen with love. See, to begin with, to give the help that's needed is just to listen. To listen. And to really listen, we listen with grace that says, I can take it in because I'm just like you in some ways. And to listen, to really take it in is with love to say, I want to know you and love you, not just fix your problem. I love how the Bible says that Jesus does this to us. Look what it says. It says, we have this great high priest who's passed through the heavens. It means he's entered into our world. Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. You know what that says about Jesus? He entered into our world, and he feels with us. Whatever weaknesses, whatever is hard for us, whatever temptations, Jesus says, I'm going to feel that with you. That's love. That's love. So we listen to each other, but we listen with love, which means we ask questions. It means we focus on the person, whatever they're going through, instead of just the problems. And then second, we speak into each other's lives. We speak to each other. Part of how we begin to give help that's needed is we speak to each other. And a lot of times we don't like this because we feel like, man, that's not my place. You know, nobody has a right to tell anybody else what to do or, you know, I don't want to judge or 
who am I to you know, kind of say something? And you know, we feel that way. But you know what the Bible says? It, it says that, listen to this. Just, this is just one of many things. But better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Here's what this means. You can say, I love somebody. But if you don't speak where they need to hear, and you're hiding that love, that's not love. What we really mean when we say, I love them, you know, I love them, I don't want to hurt their feelings, is I love myself, and I don't want to hurt my feelings. I, I don't, I, I, it, real love speaks to people. It doesn't hide. That's why faithful are the wounds of a friend. And look, if somebody hates you, they don't care what you're going to do in your life. Somebody hates you, they, they say, man, I'll give you a kiss on your way to death. But if somebody's a friend, they say, man, I got to help you even if this hurts you a little bit. I got to help you even if it hurts you a little bit. So it means we speak into each other's lives. Look, do you do this to your friends? Do you love them enough to speak into their lives? Do you love them enough to actually tell them, I see you developing an unbelieving heart. I see you wandering away from God. I see, and I love you too much to keep quiet. This is hard. This is really hard to do. It's hard because we don't like it when people do this to us, if we're honest. And it's hard because we know other people don't like it. Do you know that people physically hate any sort of feedback that's critical? They physically hate it. This is, again, from the New York Times, why it's so hard to hear negative feedback. And just listen to this. When we're confronted with it, we have a physiological response. We tense up. Our breathing gets shallower. Our ego becomes so threatened, it becomes to limit the information that's led into our brains. Think about that. We hate it so much, we physically respond, and we even just go, basically, I'm not listening, I'm not listening. We, can't, we don't want anything to hurt our ego. There's even a study done on this in small groups, in churches. Um, I quoted from this in our first sermon, but this says this. Among those who attend a group, the top two outcomes that they want out of a group, the top two they want are encouragement and acceptance. The two outcomes they least desire means, okay, what do you want in a community group? The ones I do not want at all is accountability and correction. Nobody correct me. Nobody keep me accountable to anything. I want you to encourage me and accept me. The end. And if you're not in a group, I think it even gets worse. If you're not in a community group, this is what you least desire, what you most want is encouragement and support, very similar. Encourage me, support me. And what you would hate in a group is life change and correction. Do not change my life and do not correct me. Think about how sad that is. It's funny, but if, if it wasn't true. But see, we do not like this. We don't like people speaking into our lives and we know that other people don't like it. We know that that's true. And so we go, ah... I don't know if I want to do it. I don't know if I want to speak into someone's life. But we see people hurting. We see people wandering away from God. And we hide our love. We hide, I can just tell you this, just for me. Probably my biggest regrets in life, if I was just a list out top five, definitely in one of them would be times that I didn't say something and I should have. When I wasn't bold and I should have been. When I didn't say, 
I'm worried about this. And I said, oh, I don't want to hurt their feelings. And really I meant I don't want to hurt my feelings. And so I didn't say something. See, the Bible says this is how we actually experience that salvation, that it's our responsibility. Here's how Paul says it to the church in Ephesus. He says, rather speaking the truth in love. In love, not as a jerk. Not as, hey, I just speak in my mind. But in love. We are to grow up in every way. See, that's how it happens. We speak the truth in love, and then we grow up into him who's the head, into Christ, for whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped. When each part is working properly, when, when we're all working together, speaking truth in love to one another, what happens? The body grows, and it builds itself up in love. It means we're able to experience the salvation that God has for us, the maturity that God desires for us. So that's the second thing, is that we are to listen with grace, but then speak into each other's lives. This is the tools that God actually uses to help us grow. And, and let me say this too, speaking, speaking into each other's lives doesn't mean you say this, stop. That's not what it means. Speaking means we remind people who Jesus is. That's, that's the focus, is the heart. Back to what it said in Hebrews, that God doesn't want us to develop this unbelieving heart. That if you were friends with Frodo and Sam, and, and you would say, no, Frodo, that's not true. Remember, Sam is your friend. Remember, Sam's always been there for you. Remember, Sam loves you. Remember, Sam, that's what we do with each other. We remind people who Jesus is. We remind people what he's done for them. That's the speaking, which is a beautiful thing. It's not criticism. It's not, well, you're really screwing your life up, and I'm supposed to tell you that. It's reminding people, here's who Jesus is, here's who God is, and calling them back to belief. Third is that we actually help people. How we give the help that's needed, we actually have to offer that support and practical help in the stuff that they're going through. People want this in their life. We don't all want speaking, but man, people want people to practically help them in their lives get to where they feel that they need to be. We spend, I mean, billions of dollars on this. This is um, just from a, a website that kind of talks about the different money that we spend on various um, business services, but $9.9 .9 a year in personal development. That means people are paying people billions of dollars to say, hey, help me diet. Help me with my business. This is coaching. It's, it's, it's all sorts of things that we say, I want to pay you to help me grow and develop and experience life the way I want it to be. People spend billions. And God says, that's part of what the church is supposed to be. Not necessarily business coaching or coaching for your diet or whatever, or your, you know, getting your reps in the right way. It doesn't mean that. But it means God says, I want to help. I want to put people in your life to help you. Get to where I've called you to be. Again, in Hebrews, it says this. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. See, God calls us to a life of love and good works. And he says, our responsibility, we're not paid billions of dollars, but our responsibility is to consider, to go, how can I help them get to where God's called them to be? Consider. It's a very thoughtful word. Look, if you're a parent, it means to look at your kids and say, how can I help them to become the person God's, and to actually consider it. If you're
if you're in a community group and you've got friends in your life, this is not a parenting verse and it's not a pastor verse. Do you think this? See, if you just think that my responsibility is to grow, you're wrong. Your responsibility is to grow, but it's also to think about thoughtfully how to help other people grow. God wants us to look at the people in our life and say, how can I help them? How can I actually stir them up towards the life that God is calling them to? And this also includes this. In Galatians, Paul says, we bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And you know what that means? It means that the things that are hard for people where we want them to experience change, we don't just say, I hope that changes for you. But we help them. Someone's saying, man, I'm in debt and I'm struggling and I can't get out. We say, I want to help you financially. I want to help you develop a plan. If somebody is addicted in various ways, we don't just say, I hope you can get some help on that. We say, okay, how can I help keep you accountable? How can I be there for you? How can I, what, what can we do? It says we actually, some of the weight falls on us. Some of the weight falls on us. And we can't just say, I wish good things for you, but I will help you. I will think about your life and how I can help you get there. This is what we are called to do. We are called to listen to each other. We're called to speak to each other. And we're called to actually help practically in the details. And then finally, it's just that this is supposed to be a consistent thing. It says this, what we read earlier, but it says, exhort one another every day as long as it's called today. Every day. That means this is to be a regular part of our lives. A regular part of our lives. It's not supposed to be something that happens kind of in a, a big kind of mountaintop experience. Or, or maybe some of you, you've got really close friends still back from college or from when you were growing up. And once in a while, you get together with them and you go, oh man, that was so awesome. That was so great. And then you go on with your life. But that's not what God wants for you. I don't mean he doesn't want you to have those friends back in college. I mean, I'm saying you text them today and say, you're not what God wants for me. I don't mean that. I mean, though, that he wants you to experience daily. He wants you to daily experience this. Because you know this. It's the everyday stuff that directs our lives. It's the everyday help that directs our lives. It's the everyday communication. It's the everyday words into our lives. It's the everyday vulnerability in our lives. It's the everyday listening in our lives that directs the course. Not those mountaintops. Not those good old friends in the good old days. It's the everyday. God knows that. And so he says, I want you to every day experience people in your lives doing this for you. So this means make this a normal part of your life. It means if you're not in an LTG, what's keeping you from that? It means if you're not in a community group, what's keeping you from that? God wants you to experience this daily. He wants it to be the, the air that you breathe. So, how do we help each other? How do we help each other? How can we actually be friends that help each other in our lives? God wants you. God wants you to fully experience the salvation that he's brought to us. He wants you to fully experience it. Not just some of you, not just the strong ones and the smart. God wants us, all of us, to be brought in, to fully experience it, to be loved. 
to be loved, to be practically helped, to, to hear who he is over and over again. God wants that for us. And so he gives us people in our lives. So what would happen if you and me grow in saying, I need this help? What would happen if you and me grow in saying, I want to be the kind of person that gives that help to each other? When we come to take communion, what we remember is that Jesus saved us. We remember he saved us, but he doesn't just want to give us that in a moment in time. He wants us to live in it. That's even part of why we take communion, Jesus said, regularly to remember him. Because he doesn't just want it to be a moment. He wants us to experience fully that his blood cleansed us and that his body was broken for us. He wants us to fully experience all of that together. Which is why we take communion together. Is to remember he wants this for us. And part of how he gives that to us is through communion. He wants us to taste what he's done and to keep tasting it over and over and over again. This is what God desires for us as a church. So let's pray together as we sing in response. Jesus, I thank you that you are a good God that has loved us and has brought us into your family. I thank you that you save us, but that salvation isn't just a a point in time. You want us, Father, to know the depths of what you've done. And I pray even today, even now as we sing as we take communion, that you would help us to fully experience this. But I also pray, God, for people in here that um, are resistant to receiving what you want for them, that you would just lower the guard where there's hardness or deception, that you would soften and bring truth. And for those of us that maybe are vulnerable and want help, but maybe we just aren't very good at giving it, God, I pray you would help us as a community to be uh, your voice and your hands and your love, your presence in the lives of each other. I pray this in your name, God.